Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. What's good, Alaska? This is Scott Levesque, and you're listening to the midweek edition of the Must Read Alaska podcast. I want to welcome everybody. If you could just take a moment and and give this podcast a five-star review, it really helps with those that are searching for Alaska politics and things about Alaska in terms of cultures, what's going on, the happenings, the here and nows. That would be great. If you want to take it a step further, we'd love to have you do a written review. We love the ones that we've read thus far. They've been great feedback. And we just appreciate all our listeners, readers, and supporters. So once again, thank you. And if you could just take a moment and do that, give us a five-star review. That would be great. Well, today we got a lot to talk about. But I'm going to do what I call a little bit of some quick hits. Some things that are going on around our local state. And uh, and, and just kind of get through that. Let's talk about a couple different things here. Because I think there's some important stories to talk about. And the first one is a, a piece written by a guest... Uh, contributor Bob Meyer, I believe how you say his last name, and it's a rest in peace Anchorage tax cap. And really the story breaks down two important aspects of uh, what I would consider more gasoline on the dumpster fire, that is the Anchorage Assembly. Number one is the increase in project funds to remodel City Hall downtown and specifically to divide and give assembly members individual offices. That's really the goal of the project. Now, that project was passed last February. And so $350,000 was the project price tag. That's what they passed. Well, in January of this year, things got increased by about $122,000. So that brings the total to just shy of $473,000 to do this remodel. And the question would be, well, why all of a sudden the increase? That's a lot of money. That's nearly a, you know, over a third of the original price tag in an increase. And the only thing we can go on is what Chairman Felix Rivera said, and that is furnishings. They have to spend $122,000 plus on furnishings. And you ask yourself why? Well, with a creative assembly like this, coming up with some creative policies, you need to have a creative atmosphere. I mean, you need the right furniture. You need the right wall decor. I mean, you need to set yourself up so that when you walk into your office, the creativity just flows out of you. I mean, that would be the case, wouldn't it? That's the case for $122,000 plus in furnishings is because, man, you need your place to be on point for sure. Hashtag fire emojis. Listen, this is another indication that people do not trust how the assembly uses money. To add insult to injury, apparently, to this side of things, there's another increase that's going to be happening between, let's see, April of 2019 to April of 2021 this year, and that's an increase in salary. So the base salary currently, or base salary that was before this was uh, passed, was $31,090-something dollars. Now that's going to increase to 60,000 just like just barely over $60,000. So in total that's an increase in 
an increase in 93%. That is absolutely insane. And it begs the question, does this assembly actually deserve a 93% increase in salary? That's really my question right now. Does this assembly deserve a 93% increase in salary? That's really my question right now. That is my question. Because here's the reality, is that the assembly, if it was a business, would either be fired or would be on an improvement plan. If we're going to use this analogy, there's no way that you're giving an assembly that has low public opinion, that is constantly being barraged with emails and phone calls and public testimony on the negative side of their actions. You wouldn't give somebody like that in the business world an increase in pay. So this is, again, another indication of how the use of money by the assembly is always under the guise of an eyebrow raise. It has not been any better. It's only been worse. And again, this is fuel to the fire right now. This is not good stuff. And I don't, I mean, I have never received a 93% increase. Never. I've never received that. So now being on the assembly, you can, I mean, conceivably be a full-time employee there. Now, I don't know if that increase in pay also includes an increase in required hours, what what that changes in terms of job description, but I would assume that big of an increase in pay would demand much more from the assembly. I don't know, but that was an interesting development. So quick hit number two, the Alaska Permanent Fund top $75 billion. Wow. In December of last year, it hit $70 billion. Now, keep in mind, last March, it was at $60 billion. I don't think I need to do that math for you. I don't think I need to do that math. Now, this is an interesting development because I can tell you this. At the State of the State address, Governor Dunleavy proposed a $5,000 dividend this year. And that $5,000 dividend was a full payout for 2021, including additional payouts for the 2020 dividend. With the permanent fund increasing and topping over $75 billion, does that now become feasible? That's the question. Will the governor's request for a $5,000 PFD to every Alaskan, will that become feasible? I do not know, but it surely is interesting moving forward that, hey, we, we are seeing an increase in the fund and, and again, it begs the question, what will our government do with money? We've gone through a pandemic. People have lost their jobs. People are struggling to make rent. There is a lot of questions out there about what's going to happen in terms of help from the state level. And that obviously comes in the form of the PFD every year for a lot of Alaskans. A lot of Alaskans, whether you like it or not, whether you think it's fiscally responsible or not, depend on that dividend money. It's why it's such a lightning rod for many politicians when they're out there campaigning. It really is. It's why Liz Snyder said she supports a full PFD because she knows as a Democrat, that's a lightning rod. Will she support it this year? I don't know. I would hope that District 27 holds her feet to the fire and accountable for her words and her promises, but I don't know. But the idea that now 
the governor is asking for a $5,000 PFD. Does, does this information, does the fact that the permanent fund now tops $75 billion, uh, factor into that? Well, we'll see. I mean, I'd be interested to hear what you guys think. Does it even matter to you whether or not the PFD is, its fund itself has topped 75 million? I mean, does that even matter to you? Does it configure into what you believe we should getting? I think it's an interesting question. The, the real last quick hit here now is just a, it's just a campaign note for the Anchorage mayor is that currently we know right now that Robbins, Mike Robbins and Forrest Dunbar have raised over $200,000 each for this campaign. Uh, this is obviously based on the APOC Alaska Public Offices Commission filings that they've done. So we know exactly between last February around the 2nd and to this February the 1st, how much they've spent and how much they've raised. And so Mike has raised just, you know, about 10000 over. So he's he's essentially raised $210,000 and spent over hundred of it. Forrest, on the other hand, has, you know, I believe about just almost shy of $204,000 he's raised and has spent about $94,000, $95,000 of it. Again, keeping in mind that he still has money he owes to like his his campaign, uh, the, the organization that runs his campaign, um, to a couple other things too. So, I mean, he's not, he doesn't really have what he has left over. He still owes some money out there. But, but here's the deal. $200,000 already for this, for this mayor race between these two candidates. And we don't know yet. I'm not 100% sure. I haven't looked at a, what, uh, if some of the others who are running for office, like Bill Evans or Dave Bronson, have filed yet. I, I, I'm, the actual filing date deadline is is February 18th. So the, any time between there, we'll figure this out. But it's very interesting. There's there's already a lot of support uh, for these two candidates, Mike Robbins and and obviously Forrest Dunbar. But the question really remains is, what are the other candidates uh, racking up in terms of donations and fundraising? And, and are we looking at more than just two or three viable candidates? Like, are we looking at a four-headed race here? Are we looking at Mike Robbins, Dave Bronson, Bill Evans, and Forrest Dunbar. Is that what we're looking at or is it wider than that? And I think when you look at support, it helps give you a little bit of a picture as to where people's allegiances obviously align, but also whoever gets the biggest parts of the pie are obviously having the biggest support and will have the biggest turnout for voting. I mean, it's just simple math there. So it'll be interesting to see moving forward exactly you know, what Bill Evans has raised, what Dave Bronson has raised in comparison to Dunbar and, and Robbins. And then from there, how they spend their money is going to be critical. I mean, where and how they spend their money will be critical and how they get the votes. This is, again, a mail-in voting process, which has been the bane of everybody's existence, particularly in this presidential race. So mail-in voting is, I'm not a fan of. I don't think it's its good. I don't think it's such good precedent. I think there's plenty of opportunity for uh, craziness to happen. We already, listen, the American people, Alaskans, Anchorage residents already have an issue trusting the voting process. By using mail-in ballots, it does not help. It does not help. Obviously, one side of the political spectrum feels stronger about that than the other. But the idea of mail-in voting is just, it's problematic at best. 
And again, we're not done with the COVID restrictions, the emergency orders, the emergency powers, all of that, the declaration of an emergency. So this is all going to play. This is all going to play. And, and the idea of people getting out there and ballot harvesting, which, by the way, in my opinion, was the main reason and the main problem that happened this past year in the state and local elections. I know people want to throw it on Dominion, but I don't think that was the bigger problem. The biggest problem they had was ballot harvesting. So we've got, I mean, that is a problem. And if you don't understand what that means, it's very simple. It's people going around, providing you uh, avenues to get your ballot, and then saying to individuals by scaring them, at least that was the case in 2020, don't go to the polls, you're going to get COVID, I'll pick up your ballot. Listen, I work for this person, usually a Democrat. There wasn't, I didn't hear about too many Republican or conservative individuals walking around and canvassing neighborhoods to pick up ballots. But that's that's what happened. I mean, that is for sure we have individuals have come forward and said that's what happened for some of the campaigns in the higher state races some people were doing uh, all around Anchorage. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I'm curious to see what Robbins has raised, uh, excuse me, what Bronson has raised and what what Bill Evans has raised, because those are the two other large contenders right now that uh, seem to have a a a real base of support, but also um, seem to have a good chance of of really being in this, this mayor race here in Anchorage. So those were the quick hits. So let's get into some of the bigger, heavier stuff. Obviously, I don't want to recap what happened uh, this week. Too much when uh, Suzanne and John talked a lot about this Time article. I mean, just incredible boasting by the Democratic Party on how they, quote, saved the 2020 election from 74 million Americans, I think, is who voted for Donald Trump. 74 million-ish, maybe a little bit more. And it begs the question, it really begged the question. When I read this article, I thought, man, uh, there's a lot of people who felt this, uh, that there were large and powerful forces behind the scenes orchestrating, uh, maneuvering, manipulating, and changing ways in our voting system, laws in our voting process to ensure that Donald Trump could win. Now, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I really am not. I, I don't think so. But this article just goes to show you that if you have money and power, that anything you can do is possible. And if you have a coordinated effort, which this article clearly lays out, and again, if you don't know the article, I don't know if it's still pinned on our Facebook page at the top, but I would recommend going and reading it. You're going to be, if you are a conservative or a Republican, this is going to drop your jaw because it is, it's about, I don't know, 12 to 13 pages-esque, but if you're reading it online, it's it's just a lot of scrolling, but it's information you should know. This is a clinic in how to uh, ensure that your, your side wins. And keep in mind, these are the same people that brought in ballot measure two and got it passed. So if you don't think it affects Alaska, you're wrong. These are the same individuals that came in, brought in ballot measure two to completely change and mess up the voting system here, the voting process here in Alaska. So don't kid yourselves. This article directly affects Alaskans. Directly affects Alaskans. Because the point, one of the biggest points in this article 
And one of the biggest processes and strategies behind this was to ensure that state voting and the way and the process in which they do it would be forever changed so that it would favor it would favor somebody who has a strategy behind that change. In this case, the Democrats. It really is amazing. And, and listen, I would recommend you reading it, set aside some time, and, and really take in exactly the boastful gloating of what, I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine the blowback if a conservative or Republican author. Now, keep in mind, Molly Ball is 100% on the left, 100%. She is a part of the game and and signed off and time signed off on this, which is amazing. This is not some crazy third deep website blog. This is a Time article that lays out the blueprint for how they won the election by manipulating, changing, and essentially combining powers across labor and business to ensure that Donald Trump would win. I mean, it is, when people say, and this is one of, I was one of those people. Listen, people are dumb, is what I would say. There's no way people can coordinate this well. Well, I was wrong. On a national level, people were able to coordinate this well to affect an election. It was amazing. I mean, they even tell you how they manipulated you so that you wouldn't second guess or get fired up or ask questions. It's a dangerous read because I think it's going to provoke a lot of anger. But I also think it's a dangerous read because now you're putting your stuff out there. I have no idea why this was allowed to be published. Again, I ask you, imagine if a conservative or right-wing blogger wrote this in a national recognized magazine slash website and said, this is how the Republicans, conservatives, essentially ensured victory for their party. And again, the title is amazing. The Secret History of a Shadow Campaign that Saved the 2020 Election. Man, time, you are really trying for that clickbait. That clickbait life is real for you. And here's the last question I'm going to ask on this because I don't want to spend a lot of time. If you want to recap a little bit more of what this was about, uh, go to this past Tuesday's blog. I'm, I'm sorry, podcast, Monday slash Tuesday's podcast. It has... Suzanne and, and John break this down a lot deeper, and uh, I think this is going to come back. We're going to bring this. I have a feeling it's bookmarked for me. This is going to come back big time. I'm telling you right now. And the question I have for you guys is this. The most votes that were ever cast and counted before this election was in 2008. Barack Obama received just shy of 70 million votes. I have it up on Wikipedia right now. It says he got 69,498,516 votes. Okay. That was Barack Obama's first term as president, the HOPE campaign. Now, juxtapose that to 2020. Joe Biden got 81,268,924 votes. Are you telling me that Joe Biden was a much more compelling candidate than Barack Obama when he first ran in 2008. To me, that's unbelievable. Juxtapose that to the fact that Donald Trump got 15 million, excuse me, not 15 million, 5 million more votes than Barack Obama back in 2008. 
The difference, the problem I'm having, okay, just just hear me out. The problem I'm having is twofold. One is that Joe Biden would get 12 million more votes than Barack Obama did in 2008. And that Joe Biden would get 7 million more votes than Donald Trump when he spent most of his time in his basement. I know a lot of you have thought about that. But to me, it's just hard to understand. It's very hard to understand. Well, this is definitely going to create a lot more havoc, a lot more issues, but it is what it is, okay? We're, we're now in a Biden presidency. Um, and unfortunately, right now, we, we get to look uh, behind the curtain and see exactly how the Democratic Party did it with this Time article. And again, I'm shocked this thing got published, but here we are. And, and, and again, why it got published, and I think this is the reason, there is a sanctimonious lack of self-awareness on the left. There really is. There's, that's the only reason why this article was published. There's absolutely no other reason why you would allow a journalist to literally play out everything that was happened, including subtitles of the architect, the alliance, securing the vote, uh, the disinformation defense. Wow. Just wow. Well, let's move on to something a little more local and a little bit more affecting to us in terms of the broader sense. And that is what happened on Tuesday night at the assembly. It was going to be one of those nights where people were not going to let the assembly actually vote on the mass mandate being an ordinance. And not only that, I, I, I'm curious, and I'll, I'll pose this question at the end. But I'm curious about the motives behind this idea of turning EOs into AOs, meaning turning emergency orders into ordinances. I can tell you I watched the entire assembly online, the assembly meeting. It was painstakingly long. It was riddled with frustration, as most times it is. Me and my wife use it as a Tuesday night date night. I know it's not the greatest thing, but sometimes it acts as a movie. There's some comedy. There's some tragedy. <clears throat> there's everything. And so we watched and individual after individual after individual came forward and expressed their frustration, expressed their desire to not see this happen. Uh, they expressed questions as to why this would even happen. Why do we need to change emergency orders into ordinances? Like, what's the point? Uh, a lot of good questions brought up. And there's some highlights I want to bring to the, to the attention here. Number one, number one highlight is an individual, a gentleman, and you can look at this. Uh, we've got video of this on uh, youtube.com slash mustreadalaska, essentially asked assembly member and candidate for mayor here in Anchorage, Forrest Dunbar, if masks are so safe, why have you not been to an assembly meeting in person for months? And then he proceeded to wait for about two minutes and 45 seconds. And there was nothing on the other line. He even, I believe, at one point in the middle of that waiting said, Forrest, you there? And again, what does this really show? It shows two things. Number one is that the public's not stupid. I, I think there's there seems to be, I'm not saying they think this, there seems to be Actually, we've got some emails to prove this, but there seems to be a, a underlying sentiment from the assembly that, that the public is dumb and they don't know what they're talking about. The public's not dumb. They're coming at you because 
you know you're wrong, they know you're wrong, and they're calling you out on it. And that was never more evident than when Forrest jumped in later and essentially said that most of the testimony during that night on Tuesday was disinformation, which is now the new buzzword for fake news. By the way, you just watch this. Disinformation is the new buzzword for fake news. And that was his reaction to public testimony. No, not like, hey, there seems to be a lot of push against this. Hey, this no, the assessment from Forrest Dunbar, who I would love to have on this show to talk to him about his policies. The only assessment was, hey, we should wrap this up because there's a lot of disinformation. Again, just the small things that bring the psyche of what this assembly believes. Also, you had your staples there that get that people love to see. Bernadette Wilson coming down with, hey, this isn't about mass mandating. This is about positioning and jockeying for the mayor of Anchorage. Sort of, I guess for lack of a better term, you're, you're hedging your bets that if the mayor is not who you want it to be, you take the power that you currently have given to the mayor away. That's essentially what she said, which is not wrong. Listen, let's be honest here. We all have to see past the checkers game and go into chess. They are positioning themselves so that if Dave Bronson or Mike Robbins or maybe even Bill Evans gets in, not Forrest or not Falsey get in, if more of a conservative or centrist candidate gets in, that those individuals do not have any emergency powers. I'm telling you, if Bronson or Robbins were in there right now as mayor, you can rest assured that they would not have emergency powers right now. I'm telling you. It's just, it's not going to happen. That assembly would not give over that much authority to a conservative at all. It just wouldn't happen. So this all aligns. And and Bernadette Wilson, again, we have that also up on uh, Must Read Alaska's YouTube page. She nailed it. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. So we have this assembly meeting and, and there's just testifier after testifier after testifier going on and on about the ridiculousness of turning a emergency order, <clears throat> excuse me, into an ordinance. I mean, there really is no reason other than control and other than essentially giving the assembly back the authority to do whatever they want in terms of masks before the mayor race and here in Anchorage is done. I mean, that's essentially what they're doing. Don't kid yourselves. But at the end of the day, they postpone this indefinitely. And the question is asked then, is why? Why postpone indefinitely? You made a big deal about it. You got everybody in the hoopla. And I'm not really sure other than a couple things. Number one, my assessment is, is they wanted to see if they could push this through with very little to no resistance, which to me just reeks of a lack of self-awareness. You've had people at the assembly meeting after meeting coming at you. And you think this was going to fly? You think this was going to happen? I guarantee you every one of their inboxes was flooded. Every one of their phones were flooded with people who basically said, if you do this, you're out. I'm not voting for you again. Which would be the only reason why the person who was presenting the bill, or I'm sorry, the ordinance, Zolotel, decided to push to postpone indefinitely. Listen, there's only so many times you can poke the bear before the bear finally bites back. And I believe, I truly believe this this EO to AO nonsense 
is the is the is the straw that broke the camel's back. It really is. People are not going to accept mask mandates as law. And that's the quickest way for that assembly to get turned around. And I all think they know it. I think that's what they wanted to see. In my personal opinion, you don't bring a proposed ordinance to play like that and then back down from it. At least, again, it's a small victory because at any point they can bring it back on the table. But you don't do that and get the, the response you get without having an agenda behind it, without having an understanding and a reasoning. And I don't know if there's people that are, I mean, there. I'm, I'm sure that they're having communication back and forth during this time on their phones. Maybe not just with each other, but maybe some of the puppet masters behind the scenes. But the reality is this, is that they presented an ordinance that they knew was going to be controversial, just like AO 66 and 65 in the summer of 2020. And this time around, they could not force feed it through because they knew that this was the hill that people were going to die on, which is why I believe they put it out there just to see what the response would be. And I dare say that they were shocked at how many people essentially said, you do this and it's over. You, you will not be voted back in or, or some variation of that, I'm sure. The other thing it tells me is that they're willing to put I guess, fleeces out there to see what public opinion is without actually asking the public, which is a problem. It's a problem. Instead of being transparent, we have these games that the assembly is playing. Again, why would you put this out there and not push forward with the vote? Because they could have easily extended it throughout the week. They did that with AO66. But the problem is, is that they're using these as tools to gain information and to understand exactly where the public and the residents of the municipality are and their ideals and what they're willing to accept and not accept. So remember that. There's no reason why they couldn't have extended another night or even to the next meeting, but they didn't. They postponed it indefinitely. So just read between the lines here. Understand exactly what's going on because this is not going to go away until we as residents make a change. There's no reason to do this. There's no reason to put these things out just to see what the public would do and if they could get away with it and then postpone them indefinitely the same night that they proposed it. Oh, I'm sorry, it was up for, for a vote. Why would you do that? They didn't do that for AO66, buying those buildings with CARES Act funds. Why would you do it with this? Again, think about between the lines here. Well, that's it for me today. Listen, it has been a pleasure being with you. There's a lot going on. Obviously, politics does not rest, especially here in Alaska. But if you want to uh, stay informed what's going on, head over to mustreadalaska.com. We've got everything on there. And if you want to support us, if you go to mustreadalaska.com's homepage, at the top right-hand side, you can see the donation button. We do this because you guys need to know the full picture, not just one side of the news, which is being given right now by the mainstream media. So if you can support us, we put out more and more content every day. And our fearless leader, Suzanne Downing, is uh, incredible at making sure that our Alaska readers and readers from around the country and we're international, believe it or not, get the news they need, get a full picture instead of just one side. Listen, if you haven't liked us on Facebook, do so. Uh, Subscribe and click the notification bell on YouTube at youtube.com slash mustreadalaska. And we are on so much more, Twitter, so forth and so on. But we just appreciate you as our listeners, our readers, and our supporters. Again, until next time, stay classy.